Maybe you don't remember this, but we're coming up on the 15th anniversary of the famous Oprah show where Oprah gave away, you're clapping for Oprah right now. That's okay, that's cool. I haven't said anything yet. You say Oprah and people clap, so. But we're coming up on the 15th anniversary of that Oprah show where she gave all 276 members of the studio audience a brand new Pontiac G6. And we got a new phrase in our popular vernacular, you get a car. Just watch. Does everybody have a box? All right. Inside one of these boxes is a key. Do not open it yet. Okay, everybody, listen up. Here is the deal. If your box has a key, you will be the last person today to get one of those cute little G6s. Okay? Who will it be? Are you ready? Are you ready? JR is back in our audio booth. I want to, you know, JR, just calls for a drum roll. Cue the drum roll. All right, open your boxes. Open your boxes. One, two, three. <laughs> Whoa, that's intense. I mean, those guys were really excited. But some of them weren't as excited a year later when the IRS was coming down on them for owing $7,000 in gift taxes that they couldn't afford. They were really excited about the gift at first. And in life, there are some things that we see as great gifts that come into our lives at first. And then we realize later, they're anything but a gift. And some of the greatest gifts you ever receive in life, you don't recognize them as gifts at first. You don't see them as anything other than a problem, a hurt, pain, a failure, a trial, difficulty. But really, all those things are just gifts in disguise. That's why we're in this series we're calling The Advantage of Adversity. And because the greatest problem you face today is really your greatest possibility for God to do a work in your life. Your greatest problem today is your greatest opportunity to experience growth. And in fact, the very barrier that you're facing today is really the bridge that God wants to use to take you to the next level. It's just that it's really hard to see at the time. And so I want you to open your Bibles to the book of James because we're concluding this series, The Advantage of Adversity. And without adversity, you can never make it to your destiny. And so open up your Bibles and would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church. And I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us at Woodlands Church at Tascacita and Woodlands Church North Point. Uh, we love our Woodlands Church at Tascacita campus and our North Point campus and all you guys here in the Woodlands and we want to welcome everyone worshiping with us through our broadcast and online ministry. Wherever you are in the world, we are one church built on the word of God. So I want you to follow along with me here because I know God has a word for you today. I'm so glad that you're here today or that you're tuning in today because I believe with all my heart, God has a purposeful and personal word for you from his word. And I'm so glad that God's word 
is not just something we study on Sunday. It's something that makes a powerful difference in our lives on Monday. So follow along with me. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Dear God, I thank you that I know you're gonna do a great work today in hearts. But Lord, I, I pray first you would do a great work in our minds, that you would just change our perspective and our mindset. Because Lord, it's so difficult for me to see that pain and difficulty and failure and hardship are anything but bad. But Lord, I know that you want us to look beneath the surface because you wanna use, Lord, those difficulties as stepping stones to take us to where you want us to be. And so I pray over the next few moments that you would work miracles in lives, in families, in relationships, because I know everyone here has problems and difficulties. Lord, they come in different shapes and sizes, but I know that we all face them. And, and so I, I just pray right now you'd let everyone within the sound of my voice know that you know where they're at and that you care deeply about what they're going through and that you have a word for them today from your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. And I want you to underline the first verse right there. Consider it a sheer gift. Consider it a sheer gift. He's saying you need to look at adversity as a gift. You need to get a whole new perspective on your pain, a whole new perspective on your problems because your problem is not the real problem. It's how you're looking at the problem that's the real problem. And the Bible teaches us that our greatest problem is our greatest possibility. Really, our greatest adversity is our greatest opportunity for God to work in our lives. And so today, I want us to look that even our greatest failures are great gifts. God can even use our, our mess and work a miracle in it. And God can take our greatest failures and use it as a stepping stone so that we can make it to true success. And God always wants to use our failures. God allows many times us to be in a place where we fail so that it takes us to another place where we can find success. Now, what if today I said, I'm so glad you're here at church today. I'm so glad you didn't miss this weekend because this weekend, it's even better than that famous Oprah show. Every one of you are going to get a gift that's even better than a Pontiac G6. I mean, so much better than a brand new car. This gift is going to be life-changing. And it's not taxed at all, too, which is really awesome. And here's the gift. God wants to give you a failure. You get a failure. You get a failure. You get a failure. You get a failure in your business. Isn't that great? You get a failure in a relationship. You get a failure in your parenting. You're going to have many more in the coming years, too. It's awesome. You get a failure. You get a failure. You get a failure. You'd be like, you're crazy, Carrie. I mean, that's not good. I mean, none of us want failure. It's so painful. It's so devastating. None of us ever plan on experiencing a failure. 
I mean, we just want success. And doesn't God just want us to have success at everything? No. Sometimes God allows failure in our lives because he knows that's the only way we can find true success. And so if we could just see it from a different perspective for a few moments today, and then we could unwrap the gift of failure and really utilize it in our lives and use it as that stepping stone that it takes us to where we never dreamed we could be. That's what God wants for us, but to do that, we have to look at God's word because God's word talks a lot about failure. That's because every one of us have failed. You know, I know every one of us need this message today because we've all failed. The great heroes of the Bible had failures. I love that about the Bible. It tells us the good, bad, and the ugly about all the great heroes of the Bible. It tells us about great miracles God did through their lives, and it tells us about the great messes that they made in their lives. And so the only one who never had a failure that walked this earth was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you're not Christ, you need this message today. We all need this message because we've all failed. And the great news is God says, I can use that mess you made and turn it into a miracle. And so let's look at what God's word says about failure because it has a lot to say. First, I want us to realize that failure is never final. The Bible tells us that failure is never final, but we over-exaggerate the effects of failure in our lives, and, and when we do that, it causes us to fear failure. And every one of us, if we're honest, have a fear of failure. Maybe it's a fear of failure in our careers, a, a fear of failure of letting someone down, a fear of, you know, of failure financially. We all have fears of failure. I, I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's the fear of failure in a relationship, but we all have the fear of failure. Now, and here's the reason why, is we over-exaggerate failure and its effects in our lives. And it causes the fear of failure. And the fear of failure has a much more devastating effect on our lives than an actual failure. The fear of failure paralyzes us from making decisions many times because what if I make the wrong decision? What if this doesn't work? What if I go this direction when I should have gone that direction? And we get paralyzed by indecision. And most of the time, not making a decision is worse than making a wrong decision. And then we have the fear of failure that creates workaholism in our lives. Run on that treadmill of success, and we think we've got to run faster and faster and faster to prove our worth, and the fear of failure just dominates, and it's really destructive in relationships. But it's the fear of failure that's the real problem. So let me help you Start becoming free from the fear of failure by giving you three facts that are really important. First, you have failed many times in your past. Secondly, you're failing at something right now in your life. And thirdly, you will fail many more times in your life in the future. Isn't that encouraging? We can just go home on that one, that was powerful. Um, but really, when you start recognizing that, it starts reducing the stress of the fear of failure. Hey, you have failed, you are failing, and you will fail. Let me give you some real encouragement from God's word in Psalm 145, 14. It says, the Lord holds up all who fall. He raises up all who are brought down. God says, failure isn't final. God says, I wanna take your losses and use them to get you to the next level, if you'll let me. I want you to learn how to use that failure as a stepping stone because 
Every successful person uses failure to get to success. Successful people and unsuccessful people both fail. Everybody fails. It's just that successful people get back up after they fail, and they just keep going. Successful people just don't know when to quit. They just keep going and taking steps. That's why Paul said this in the next passage. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul said, we just keep taking steps of faith no matter what comes at us. All the adversity that comes at us, we just use it as a stepping stone. And we just keep taking steps of faith. And sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. But we're looking at the long-term vision that God has given us. We have a long-range goal from God. And when you have a long-range goal from God, then you don't get frustrated by short-term failure. You may go three steps forward and two steps back, but you look at it and go, hey, we're closer to the goal because failure is part of it. We're learning from it, we're growing from it. Now we let the fear of failure keep us from taking steps of faith. Michael Jordan, the greatest clutch basketball player of all time, said, I missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I failed over and over again. That's why I succeeded, because I wasn't afraid to take another shot. I wasn't afraid to fail. We get so afraid to fail that we don't take a shot in life. We get so afraid to fail that we don't take a swing at life, and we don't take a step of faith. And really, it's just a step of faith. God says you got to keep taking those steps of faith in spite of your fears. I used to think that courage was not having any fear, and I thought, man, some people are just fearless. How do they do this, or how do they do that? And what I've come to find out is that Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is just moving ahead in spite of your fears. We all feel fear, but courage just takes a step of faith no matter what you feel like. doesn't let your fears keep you from taking steps of faith. And that's what God calls us to do, take steps of faith. And one of the reasons why we fear failure is because we fear people. And whenever you're worried about what everyone else is thinking about you, you're gonna ask the question, well, what if I fail? What are they gonna think if I fail? Sometimes people come up to me and they say, you know, Pastor Kerry, I think God's calling me to do this or that, but what if I fail? And I go, what do you mean if? You're going to fail many times before you achieve what God's calling you to do. What do you mean if? It's going to happen. That's part of getting to that place where God wants you to be. And so you got to stop worrying about what everyone else thinks about you and stop fearing people because when you fear people, the fear of failure overwhelms you. But when you fear God, the fear of failure starts to evaporate. And by the way, for you young people, you guys that are in this service and not in the student service, first, you should be in the student service. It's a lot more exciting. I wish I was over there right now. Secondly, if you're worried about what everyone else is thinking about you when you walk into school and you're worried, you know, are they looking at what I'm wearing, you know, am I fitting in? Is everything okay with me because you're worried about what everyone else is thinking about you, you don't have to do that anymore because no one else is thinking about you. I'm gonna set you free right here. No one else is thinking about you. They're all thinking about what everyone else is thinking about them so they don't have time to think about you. Isn't that great news? You don't have to worry about it anymore about what people are thinking about you because they're not, okay? Too busy thinking about themselves. And by the way, I'm really speaking to adults here because junior high never ends. (laughs) You know that, don't you? That's what we think. What are they thinking about me? You know, and we're always worried 
and trying to get the approval of people. And when we fear people, the fear of failure looms large in our lives. Start following God with all your heart, knowing that God of the universe is crazy in love with you and loves you completely and it sets you free. And stop worrying about what everyone else is thinking about you. And to realize that you can step out in faith because God's going to catch you. Look at this next passage in Psalm 27, one. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When you realize that God who created the infinite universe with a word and put all the stars in space, when you realize that God who created 100 billion galaxies, each containing 100 billion stars, loves you so much, and you seek to please him and to follow him, the fear of failure starts falling away. You have no one to fear. Let me give you a secret to success. Outlast your critics. Stop focusing on the critics and focus on Christ. You just outlast your critics. You just keep standing. You just keep going. Don't answer all your critics. Just keep standing. Keep going. Keep taking steps of faith. That's success, just outlasting your critics. Well, failure is never final. The Bible teaches us, but there's a second thing. Because failure doesn't always take us to the next level. Depends on how you look at it and how you learn from it. Have to remember the life-changing lessons from failure. Failure isn't final, but it must be faced. A lot of times we don't face the failure. We just gloss over it. We, we don't want to think about it. But that's where we learn so much. We learn so much more from our failures than our successes. When we have successes, we learn from success, but we don't really stop and think about it very much. But when we fail and we're stuck in that pain, we think about it. Failure changes us, and God uses failure as one of his primary tools to mold us and to make us into who he wants us to become. And without that failure, there's not true success. In Psalm 119.71, David said, my troubles turned out all for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. You see, sometimes God allows us when we're going down the wrong path to experience pain and failure and to make a mess of things so that it stops us in our track so we can get back on the right path. And David's saying, I'm so glad I had problems and pain when I was going down that path because it forced me to turn to God in his textbook for life. I was writing my own textbook, doing what I wanted to do in my life. And then the pain turned me to my purpose. And I'm so thankful for it now. I wasn't thankful at the time, but my troubles turned out for the best because now I'm looking to God's textbook. I'm looking to go God's way, and I'm finding true fulfillment. And that's why many times God doesn't rescue us from the pain of our failures because he's a loving God. There are times when I'm going down the wrong path, he'll allow me to fail and feel the pain of my failure so that I can learn from it because we rarely learn when we see the light, but we learn when we feel the heat. You know, it's that pain that connects us to the learning many times. And it's like, I never wanna go that way again. And I learn from it. Because the freedom to fail is the freedom to grow. Without the freedom to fail, you have no freedom to grow. This has profound implications for parenting. For those of you who are parents, if you always rush in and rescue your kids from the pain of their failures every time, you do them a great disservice 
because what you're doing is you, you're saving them from a little bit of hurt now, but you're guaranteeing them a world of hurt later because they gotta learn that lesson sometime. And they've gotta learn that lesson on their own many times. Now, I'm all for protecting our kids. Don't get me wrong. We need to protect our kids, and there's some things we need to rescue them from, but when you're always rushing in to rescue your kids from the pain of their failures, you never let them make any mistakes, you're always coming in and saving them from it, then basically you're saying, I don't really believe in you very much, that you can really make a decision. I don't think you can learn from this, so I just need to do this for you. And it creates insecure kids who become insecure adults. God doesn't just come in and rescue us. He allows us to have that pain. And a lot of times in life, we try to rescue people from their pain. And it's so counterproductive. And we want to avoid pain. We want to get out of pain. We want to rescue ourselves from pain. We don't want any pain. We want everything to feel good and comfortable. But that comfort zone is the death zone usually. And we need the pain to push us out of our comfort zone into our calling. And so... Sometimes when we have good intentions, it really creates just the opposite. In fact, I heard this true story that in 1978 in the firefighters fight, or firefighters strike in England, when they all went on strike and the whole nation, you know, was upset about it, then the army had to come in. The British army came in and they took over for all the firefighters in the emergency. And uh, there was a, a lady in South London who called into the fire department, her local fire department, it was answered by a squad from the British Army, and she said she needed her cat to get rescued. So on January 14, 1978, this squad of the British Army went out to her house and with military precision rescued her cat from a tree in just a matter of minutes, and she was so grateful, she said, you know what, you guys are better than the regular firefighters, we ought to just keep this going, this is, a, this is amazing, you guys are amazing, you were here so quick. And she'd come in and have some tea, so she hosted the hero squad for tea and told them how grateful she was, and they were feeling pretty good about it, and then they got in their vehicles and waved goodbye and pulled out of her driveway and ran over her cat. <laughs> what? I mean, oh, you thought it was going to be some inspirational story. No, the cat was dead. That was it. Um, no, that, that was it. What did you think? You know, that was gonna, the cat was gonna get resurrected or something? No, the cat's dead. Um, now, don't write me letters, cat lovers, okay? There's no inspirational story to that. It, it's just that sometimes, I, I know you'll remember it now. You know, it's like, yeah, Pastor Kerry told us a story about a cat that got killed. It was really inspirational today. But no, really, here's the thing. I want you to remember that sometimes when you come in and rescue, you create a lowers problem. And I know for parents, it's so easy for us to do that. And next week, we're gonna kick off a brand new series we're calling Real Life Rodeo. And it's all about family relationships and in our chaotic, crazy world. I mean, how do you raise kids in such confusing times? And we're gonna get into some really specifics. We're gonna have so much fun. We're gonna have rodeo stuff out here. Uh, but we're gonna really get into some principles that relate to every relationship, but really come into how do you really connect as a family in these crazy times? What do you do, you know, the internet and technology and all these things, you know, how do you use them for good and protect your kids? And we're gonna learn a whole lot over the next couple of weeks. 
But I want you to look at Proverbs 11, 2. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. This is really important because you don't necessarily learn from your mistakes and failures unless you stop and admit them. Pride can keep us from admitting them. And sometimes we make the same mistakes over and over again. Like some people go, I'm in the same financial situation. Again, the 10th time. Or I'm going through the same relationship problem that I had last time. Why is that? Because we blame other people. We don't stop and realize and learn from the failures. God wants us to humbly admit our responsibility, and then we can learn from the failures. It's only in our struggles that we find God's strength. And when we fail, it points us to how much we need God. You'd never realize how much you needed God unless you had problems, and you would never experience why you were created. You're created for a relationship with the God who made you. If we never failed at anything, you always succeeded, you'd never pray. You'd never get on your knees. You would never turn to God and experience that deep relationship with him. But it's in the middle of our struggles that we find God's strength. It's in our mess that we see God work his greatest miracles, and we see how much God loves us. And that brings me to the most important thing, rest in God's grace. God isn't surprised when you fail. God won't stop loving you. You can just rest in his grace. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Underline the word grace and underline the words gift of God and draw a line connecting the two because grace is a gift of God that we can't earn or deserve. And the reason why failure is a gift is because when we unwrap the gift of failure, it points us to the gift of grace. When we realize that we have failed, that we've all sinned, we've all made mistakes, we know how much we need God's grace. And it points us to that greatest gift, the gift of his grace. The most perplexing thing to me about God's character is his grace. It's just so hard for me to comprehend because there's something inside of me that wants to earn it or deserve it. But grace is completely undeserved. It's a free gift that we could never earn or deserve. It's God giving us something that we could never deserve, forgiveness in heaven one day. We all struggle with grace, especially if you were raised in a performance-based home where when you performed, when you excelled, then you felt worthwhile and your family made you feel like you were worth something and valuable, but when you failed, you felt worthless. You were taught that your worth was based on your performance. And it's really hard to accept God's grace because God says to you, I love you no matter what. I love you, period. I love you no matter if you succeed or fail. I love you not based on your performance, but based on my character that never changes. I love you not based on what you can do, but based on what I've already done for you on the cross. I love you. See, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, any less than he does right now. When you sin, it hurts him because sin is so destructive and he knows how destructive it is in your life and in your relationships and he loves you so it hurts him. But he doesn't love you any less. And when you do great things for God, he doesn't love you anymore. He can't because he already loves you perfectly. And when we rest in that grace, and breathe in that grace, it changes everything. See, he, he took our sins on the cross he nailed all of our debt to the cross, and he paid it. And now we have a free gift that all we have to do is humble ourselves and say, I need it. 
You've got to stop trying to save yourself and just receive it. Then after you become a Christ follower, we still sin and we still have struggles. I don't know what your struggle is with. Maybe it's your anger or maybe it's lust or, or lies or selfishness, but we all have our struggles. And you go to God and, and when you sin as a believer, you go to God and go, God, I'm sorry that was wrong. And God forgives instantly and he never leaves you, by the way. He's always in your life through his Holy Spirit once you invite him in, but, but we sometimes sin, and when we do, it breaks that communication with God. And so when we sin and the Holy Spirit convicts us, we go, God, you're right, that was sin. I'm so sorry. He forgives instantly, but about the fifth time we come to God with that same sin, we're thinking, oh, God's so tired of me coming to him with this sin. He's probably thinking, can't you think of some new sin to commit? I'm so tired of this one. And we're like hesitant. I don't know. God probably won't want to forgive me. This is the 50th time I've come to him on this end. Just know this. God never gets tired of forgiving you because it's not about you. It's about his character. God loves you. He never gets tired of forgiving you. And, and here's the thing. When it comes to forgiveness, don't beg. Don't beg God to forgive you. That's an insult to God because he paid the price with his son's death on the cross. And so it's a free gift. You just have to humbly receive it. Don't beg. And then don't bargain. Some people bargain with God. God, if you'll forgive me, then I'll never do this again the rest of my life. And if you'll forgive me, I'll do these 50 things for you. Don't bargain. That's an insult to God. God said, I've paid the price for you. You don't need to bargain. It's not about how good you bargain. Just believe and receive it. God, I believe it and I receive it. God, forgive me. God never gets tired of forgiving you. Now, he wants you to have victory. He wants you to have victory over that struggle and sin. And the only way that happens is, after you confess it to God, then you tell someone you trust, a friend that's a Christ follower. You tell a counselor. You, you tell one of our prayer team members down here. You, you go in marriage counseling and say, hey, we're having struggles in our marriage, like everybody does at times. You, you tell a friend, I'm really struggling with this sin. And the Bible says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness, but we confess our sins to each other to be healed, and we have victory, and you connect with others. And then you start having victory over those struggles. But God never gets tired of forgiving you. Hey, speaking of victory, we're having a great weekend at Woodland Church this weekend because matching up with the message is our friend George Springer and he's been here all weekend. We've been having such a great time with George. And of course, George is beloved here in Houston and one of the greatest baseball players on the planet. And he and the other Astros led our city to our first World Series championship in 2017. And he was the MVP of the World Series. He's just an amazing baseball player and just an amazing guy. And we've just grown to love George like all Houstonians. And so... Um, He's going to come out, and we're going to talk more about this, overcoming adversity. But just watch this. Hey, George has got something for us today to start off. He's been in the back all weekend building this contraption. You didn't know that he was a great scientist as well. And, and we're, we're so glad to have his brother-in-law, Andre, here. Um, but George is going to shoot some T-shirts out here because this is one of his dreams. We're going to fulfill it right here. Two people were hospitalized in the last service. But anyway, go for it. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know where this is going, so a heads up. Oh, no. Oh, no. And see ya. 
Get up there. Springer Dinger in the upper deck. Woo, and no fan interference this time. Where do you want this one to go? This one is gonna go all the way to Atascacita. Woodland Church, Atascacita, this is coming to you. George Springer to you right now. This actually might get there. <laughs> Woo, yeah. Did you get it? Okay, this is going to our North Point campus. Mm -hmm. I think it's the other direction, but I'm not sure. Where'd it go? <laughs> okay, this one's going in the front row. The last, one. last one, guys, last one. Yeah. This is power. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, give George a great round of applause. Thank you for being here. Good morning, good morning, afternoon, whatever it is. <laughs> it's before noon, so it's early, or actually, no, it's afternoon, so it's early for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For a baseball player, you guys sleep late, and then you play at night usually. Sleep late, stay up late, it's, oh yeah, it's uh, not, not quite the body clock that I envision for myself, but it's all good. I like yeah, it. and we've been having so much fun this weekend, and by the way, George goes to spring training on Thursday, and he's here this weekend, so um, it all gets started again, yeah. Yeah, here How do you we are. feel about that spring training coming up? Uh, I'm excited. You know, it's uh, it's always kind of an exciting time of year. You've been, you had a a nice productive off season, hang out, enjoy it, and now uh, you know, hopefully we we can get down there safe and sound and hang out with the guys again, and you know, hopefully uh, do this again in 2019. Oh, it's been an amazing run. I mean, of course, two years ago you win the World Series. I mean, that's just I can't even imagine the ecstasy of that. And then last year, George, you guys had an amazing year, but you get to, you know, the ALCS championship there, and you lose to the Red Sox in the greatest travesty that's ever occurred in sports and the worst call that's ever happened in sports. And the Saints fans have nothing on this. No, no, nothing. they don't. Nothing. They can't even compare. <laughs> can't even compare. And the Red Sox, great team, and y'all beat them the year before. They got you this year, but... but um, that, I can imagine that feeling of making it almost back again and then losing. And, and you guys just knew you were going to win it again. Uh, yeah. You, you know, obviously coming off the World Series win last year, or 2017, was, was uh, something that not a lot of us have ever done before. So having real no kind of expectation um, going into next year, except for, well, let's do it again. Um, and, and now the organization has done such a, a great job. The city... Um, the fans of expecting us to win and expecting good quality baseball like that. So when you fall short, you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, you feel like you let everybody down and you kind of feel disappointed. But when you sit back and, and reflect on the success of the year and kind of understand that it takes a lot to get to where we ended up getting to, um, we had a, a great year, a special year. Uh, 104 wins in the regular season, which is hard to do. We just ran into a very, very talented Sox team, which, you know, boo, but it is what it is. Um, so, you know, now un understanding, at least for myself, and I'm sure I can speak for some guys, that a lot has to go right over the course of a year for that to happen. Um, and when it doesn't go your way, you, you, 
you get hungrier, you, you become more ambitious, and you will want to bring back another one to uh, this great city. Well, it was a great year, and I know it had to be painful to lose, but then you take a step back and go, wow, this is, you know, this is a pretty good deal, you know, what we're doing here. Um, I know, though, for you last year, George, you had some adversity with injuries, you know, that you haven't often had, and so what's that like, you know, when you're, you know, a really key player on the team, they need you so desperately, but you can't go. Yeah, um, I think one of the most important things when dealing with an injury is you have to understand that my problems aren't as bad as somebody else's problems. My problem is I can't play, which is, you know, boo-hoo. Um, but I, I can't be upset about that because there's somebody out there somewhere that's going through something that's way more real than me hurting my thumb or my leg or, or my back. You know, I, I have to understand that at the end of the day, I'm playing a sport as my job and I need to embrace that. So that being said, when I feel like I can't do my job and help contribute, I have to learn and kind of understand to find ways to help my teammates, to help the guys around because I can't physically go out and, and, and contribute. So, you know, but being hurt, staring at my hand a lot, I was kind of like, you know, just heal body. Like do something to heal faster, but you can't really make bones grow or, you know, all that stuff heal. So it's just kind of one of those things where I, I knew that, even though I was injured, there are still other ways that I can contribute, which is, you know, to trying to have fun, trying to get guys to relax and kind of enjoy the game. And eventually, when it's my time, you know, hopefully I can come back strong and, you know, help. Well, you did, man. You came back really strong. And in the playoffs, I mean, you were George Springer again. It's just something about the playoffs. I mean, you're one of the greatest clutch hitters, you know, and, and the stats prove that. And I asked you backstage, I said, you know, what makes you such a great clutch hitter? And he goes, I don't know. That's what I love about George. He's just so genuine. But then you went on to tell me something really, really powerful. Right. So I, I honestly don't know. Um, I like the playoffs. I think the playoffs are fun. Um, I think when the lights get brighter, the stage gets bigger, people tend to do something or try to be somebody who they're not. So at the end of the day, I'm playing the same game that I've played my whole life on the same field with the same guys I've been playing with all year against the same people, the only difference is everybody's watching because we're the only game on. Um, so why would I change what I do or how I do it just because the situation gets bigger? So, you know, again, I don't believe in the word pressure because the word pressure is made up by somebody else who's not living in that moment to understand that this truly is the greatest moment of my life. I'm playing a sport on the biggest stage, trying to bring a championship back to a city. I mean, this is why you play the game. So I try not to change. I, I, I try to be myself, you know, I still get to the field late and everyone gets mad at me, but I get to the field late, I hang out, I play PlayStation before the game with Josh Reddick and we lose a lot, but it's fun because I, I have this thing, if we lose in the clubhouse, we're gonna win on the field. So. The more we lose in the clubhouse, I'm like, okay, we're gonna do good today because we can't win a game in here, so we're gonna win out there. Um, right, right. But it's, I think the key is when times get tough or your 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 mind says this is gonna be hard, is to not change, be who you are. You already know how to do what you know how to do, so just go out and do it. That's really good because it is all of the pressure is all about what you bring on yourself. Everybody looking at you, you're, you're looking at them, then pressure. But yeah, you're being yourself. 
Um, I know baseball is really a game where you have to get really used to failure. I mean, you have to embrace failure because you hit it three out of 10 times, get a hit three out of 10 times and you're a great success. Right, you know, I, I, I think the crazy part about our game is, you know, three hits out of 10 at bats, you're considered a great player, which is crazy to hear of. But in the game, you know, if you really think about it, the human mind isn't designed to fail. There isn't one thing in your brain that allows you to fail. So when you fail, you automatically try to think of something to get yourself out of it. You automatically go to places to, okay, this is how I'm supposed to succeed. And if your mind is designed to fail, then I don't know what else to tell you. But the key to failure is accepting it, to know that even though you're not designed to fail, you're going to fail. How do you handle failure? Because if you let failure define you and you let failure keep happening, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to keep failing. Um, but I believe that eventually you will come out of it. If you, you believe in yourself, you trust the process, you understand that you already know how to do what you're doing, at some point you will get yourself out of it. Things will get better. Things will always turn. I think that's what makes our game so, so special, so unique is I can go 0 for 4 like I did in the first game of the World Series, which I'm sorry guys, that wasn't my plan, uh, but it ended up happening. And then the next day, you do something great and you can keep doing something great. So it shows you that failure's temporary yeah. and at some point you will come out of it. That's awesome, it really is. That, you know, and, and you've been a great example of that. Um, not just in baseball, but in life, as, as you grew up with a stutter and a communication issue that um, I'm sure really affected you as a kid. And um, when, when a kid has anything like that that seems different, then there could be bullying and all kinds of stuff like that. But now you've taken that and it's been a great strength of yours and you're helping so many young people um, who may feel like that, you know, they've got something that people are looking at that says is different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a, I'm sure if you ask my teammates, you can ask AJ, you can ask my wife, whatever. I will talk your ear off from the time I get out of bed until the time she forces me to fall asleep because I, I don't like sleeping for some reason. She has to make me go to bed. But I talk all day. I try to enjoy my life and have fun. And it's hard to explain to people that it wasn't always that way. I would go full school days, full days without speaking to anybody because I was afraid of what would happen. And I never understood why I couldn't just say what I wanted to say. Um, it wasn't up until I was about, honestly, about 18 when I was like, well, I have to kind of get out of this. I can't let myself get to this point where I'm afraid to show people who I am and speak my mind and enjoy my life, well, that didn't work. It took me another probably five or six years to when I was about 24, 25 to be like, you know what, I'm just gonna embrace it. I am who I am. Um, I'm not gonna let something that I can't control define me. So I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna live my life, and if I can help somebody somewhere along the lines because I know firsthand what these kids are, or, and adults are experiencing. I know what it's like to feel isolated, to not wanna be yourself. So it's like, you know what? At eight, nine, 10, let's get that out of here. Let's, let's, let's see if we can make somebody confident enough to go be the next president, to, to go you know, be an analyst, to, to, to do what they wanna do. And I get great joy 
um, from seeing kids or adults say, you know what, I am who I am and I enjoy my life and th that's what it's about. So it's not about, you know, me saying that I have a stutter or, 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 or me feeling ashamed or happy, whatever. Um, it's about being a good person, enjoying your life and understanding that you're not different. You are unique. You live your life differently. You have something that somebody else that doesn't have. Oh well, it is what it is. Enjoy your life. Be happy because you only get one. That's really awesome, and and he's helping so many young people with that. You know, it, he's he's been speaking out in a great way. You know, and, and it really, when you let people in on um, struggles or what at least some people perceive as struggles, and you don't try to cover it up, it just draws people to you. And man, people are so drawn to you, especially young people, and you're making such a difference. And I know. Faith has made such a difference in your life, your faith in Christ. I know you love Jesus, and um, what does your faith mean to you? It's huge. Um, you know, obviously, in our game, you, 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 you handle success, you handle failure. You're up, you're, you're down. You're up, you're down. Um, and my faith is an everyday presence. It's whether it's good, bad, it doesn't matter because I'm a, I'm a huge believer of you can't look towards the Lord when things go wrong because when things go wrong, again, the human mind's not designed to fail. So you look for every avenue to succeed. Well, I believe that if you have an everyday presence and you keep the Lord close, and it doesn't matter if you're outspoken or not about it, that eventually it'll go the way that you believe it should. And if you believe in your belief, then I don't think there's anything more powerful than that, than, than, than believing in yourself, believing in the Lord, keeping him close, and kind of just going about your day as he would want you to. That's awesome, and I know that's it, it's that everyday thing, and you know, we were talking about adversity, and I, I said, George, you were at the top of the world, you win the World Series, you're the World Series MVP last time you came to Woodlands Church, um, you know, you're coming off of all that, and now you come back, you know, you, you lost to the Red Sox, you didn't get to the World Series, and you, and you got married, and there's so much adversity has happened since you came the first time, and it's like, how are you dealing with this tough stuff? Oh, well, the World Series adversity, the Red Sox adversity doesn't hold a candle to the marriage adversity. Now, let me tell you that. You know, um, I think the most important thing that I've learned, again, and I've said it before, is I've just learned to concede which is a really, You're really so hard thing to do. I, I, just, I just give in now, you know. That is so I pick wise. my battles. You have learned so much in a year, my friend. I, you know what, one year, one year, and I, I learned to just concede. Um, but the problem with conceding is she doesn't like that. So it's a lose-lose. So I concede, and she gets even more mad. I'm like, uh-oh, oh no, this isn't good. This isn't good. Chris always says, you didn't mean that. You yeah, know? Do I go, you no, I'm sorry. Find the common mean. ground. Yeah. Hey, what's really cool, uh, Charlize, you know, th these guys have such a great marriage relationship and it's really fun to watch them, but uh, she is also really good, uh, she's a really good athlete. She's really good at softball. She played softball in college, so she knows the game, and that's kind of unique because she can tell you when you're, she thinks you're doing something wrong. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Boy, you have learned so much in a year. Be, I can tell yeah. you what, it is, it is a really interesting d dynamic because I tell her all, all the time, you know, I, I play baseball for three hours a day, right? So for, for the other 21 hours, I'm, I'm her husband. So whatever it is she needs me to do, I try to do it. 
which I don't always do right, but the effort's there, right? So I remember there was a whole, whole one time, I, I have about a 20-minute ride home, so I'm from the stadium to my front door, I am allowed to be the baseball player. The second I pull in the driveway, I'm the husband again. So I remember, I get home, I turn off the baseball player, I'm like, I'm thinking about it, I, so but back up the story, I popped up a 3-1 pitch, dude threw it right down the middle, I should have crushed it, I popped it up, I'm out, I'm like, you know, rats. Flip out the whole time, I get home, I finally forget about it. Husband George walks in the door, hey, how are you? She's, and she looks me dead in the face and is like, you know you can't miss that 3-1 pitch. And I'm like, you know, I just turned it off. She reminds me of it as soon as I walk in the door. That's harsh. And, you know, the beautiful part about it is, you know, is, is I've got my ways, she has hers, which I've learned that's her ways are always right and my ways are always wrong. So I can't even argue with her anymore about her style of hitting versus my style of hitting. But it's just that, that dynamic, you know, to, to be able to have that and, and to come home and to know that she has my best interest in mind, whether it's good or bad or I want to hear it or not, um, it means the world to me. So I have a, a great girl by my side and, and I'm, I'm extremely blessed. You do. And you guys compliment each other so well. And um, hey, guys, I want you to really commit to pray for George. I know that you're going to pray for the Strohs to win the World Series, you know, so I know you're going to do that, right? Please do that. Please pray for the Strohs and for me to be right one time. Yeah. I just, I, I just want one because <laughs> if I could have one, I will hold it over her head forever. That may be one you're going to fail at, but, no, uh, no, but no. we're going to I'm, go, I'm, I'm determined. Pray. We're talking about failure. If first you don't succeed, keep trying. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep trying to be right hey, until man, I am. Let's just get it out right here and now, you and I, you know, because I think we're really good guys, and maybe our wives don't understand how good we are. Hey, you know what? She always says I'm lucky to have her, uh -huh. and I'm not going to say what I'm actually thinking, but I right. agree. Exactly. I am. Yeah, right. I'm very lucky to have her. It's, yeah. uh, it's a great relationship. <laughs> but really pray for George and pray for Charlize, pray for their family because – this guy's going into spring training and the ups and downs of 162 games plus spring training. Pray for his health, for strength, and just for continued blessings because God's really using this guy and we love him so much. And, you know, you fit Will and shirt so much because you're so genuine, George. That's what I love about you. You're just real and God's raised you up and you're making a big difference. But thanks for being so real, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Give, give George a great thank you, would you? All right. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Just remain standing. And I, I want to just close with a scripture passage of promise that God really laid on my heart to give to you. Somebody needs this. It's from Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things, God says. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God says to you, forget the past. I'm doing a new thing. He's saying, forget your past failures. Forget your past successes. They can get in your way and start looking for the new thing that I'm doing in your life. I want to do a new thing. I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way. I'm going to take your greatest pain and turn it into my greatest purpose. I'm going to take your failures and turn them into something powerful 
that's gonna take you to success. I want us to bow our heads right now. Dear God, I pray for everyone here who's never received you into their life. They don't have a personal relationship with you. That right now in this moment, they would just pray this prayer to you silently in their hearts as if they're the only one in this place. That they would just say, dear God, thank you for creating me. Thank you for loving me. I realize that I need you. I'm sorry for going my own way in life. I want to go your way. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I ask you to come into my life and I ask you to change me from the inside out. I ask you, Lord, to help me follow you from now on and I receive your free gift of forgiveness and heaven one day. Thank you for saving me. Now help me grow as a Christ follower. And Lord, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice who's going through pain and difficulty. And Lord, when we're going through it, it's just so hard to see that it's a gift. It, it just, there's no way that we can feel like it's a gift. But Lord, just let them know that no matter what's coming at them today, that you know and you're gonna see them through. That you will make a way where there seems to be no way. And I pray for miracles this week. That you would just touch lives and hearts and relationships and bring your healing touch. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're gonna have our pastors and our ministry prayer partners up here at the front. If you would like prayer, God's been doing some amazing things, answering prayer at Woodlands Church. And maybe you received Christ and you want to tell someone, or maybe you're struggling with something like everyone is, and come and tell them. God wants to do something great in your life today. And next week, we'll kick off the new series, Real Life Rodeo. Doing family in confusing times. God bless you, Woodlands Church. We love you. Have a great week. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.